Good morning. I want to jump in on the celebration. Last Sunday was so awesome. We've been uh, encouraging all of you to play big. And boy, did you play big last Sunday. The way you invited, the way you greeted, the way you fed, just everything about the day. Whether you had guests come or not, uh, you did a great, great job. And we had a lot of guests. We had a stack of 91 connection cards from guests. And those are simply the ones who filled something out. I'm sure we had lots more, so thank you. And so many of you are back here today that came last week, and we, we just welcome you because uh, one of our goals is not just to play big, but we want to reach one more person for Jesus. And I just want to thank you all for what you did to make that happen. We began a new message series last week on the 12 steps of recovery. Uh, familiar, we, we use it for Alcoholic Anonymous we're calling it 12 Steps for Life Recovery. And, and what we're finding out is that these steps are not just beneficial for overcoming that kind of addiction, but all the different issues that we have. They're biblical, they're powerful, they're practical. Because most of us find some issue that overwhelms us. It might be alcohol, it might be shopping, it might be your addiction to sports. It might be uh, your mental addictions to negative thoughts going in your mind over and over. But it leads you to this death spiral that starts with some difficulty in your life that causes pain to you. You're hurting. And then you find a way to deny that pain, to cover that pain up. And, And as you cover it up, it leads to all kinds of dysfunction in your life and the people around you. And finally, it leads to destruction. It's a terrible spiral to find yourself in. And that's what's so important about these 12 steps. They give us a way out. In fact, most of us know, with most of the issue of your life, you just go back and back and back. And the Bible talks about that. There's an incredible image found in both the Old and New Testament that says that when we do that, we're like a dog that returns to its what? Vomit. Say it with me. Vomit. Show it to him, okay? (laughs) If you've got a pet, you know that happens. We had somebody at first service whose husband had to stay home to keep their dog from going back to its vomit. You've all seen it. I know you love your dog. I know it's like a second son to you, but it does it, okay? And and this is the, the lamest picture we can find to show you of that. But what a vivid image God's given us of what it looks like when we just keep on going back to the same issue. And that's why I'm so excited about our study today. Because we're going to keep working through the 12 steps. I love that word. It's an ongoing work in progress. The 12 steps is not a checklist that you go over, check them all off, and then move on with your life. The 12 steps is something that you go back to and back to and back to. You work it. It's like learning to play an instrument. You may have learned the basics. You may have gotten through the training. But you constantly go back and improve and go back over the basics. Last week, we started with the three basics of the 12 steps. I call them the ABCs. If you're taking notes, here's your first blank. First step is dare to admit. Here's the first step. We admitted that we were powerless over our problems, that our lives had become unmanageable. You first of all got to admit that just just trying harder, just getting on to yourself is not working. And then the second step is the B, dare to believe. You see, this is the hope step. 
we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. You ever feel that way? You need to be restored to sanity. And we begin to know not only are we powerless, but there is someone who is powerful who can rescue us. Now, both of those steps are sort of the, the contemplation steps, the awareness step. I'm aware that I'm powerless. I'm aware that God is powerful. Step three is the first action step. And here's what it is. Dare to commit. We made a decision to turn our lives and our wills over to the care of God. I found out the problem. You see, it's, it's like the lady. Uh, she's meeting with her husband. They've been married 40 years, and... They're talking, he says, you know, honey, we've been married 40 years. We've gone through some tough times. First few years of our marriage were difficult. Then we had some infertility issues, and then we had some children, and they had issues we had to deal with in that. And then there was that time that I had to file bankruptcy. And, and then, you know, now, you know, now I've got cancer, and things have, things have been, been pretty rough. And uh, um, I, I just am aware that you've been there the whole time. And I figured out, you're the problem. I mean, you're the, you are the constant in my life through all of this. Well, here's what the 12 step says. You're, buddy, the problem. You're the constant in your life the whole way through. So admit that you're powerless. Believe there's a power that can change you. And finally, come to this point of surrender. You see, last week we said it's insane when you keep doing the same thing and expect different results. You go back and back and back. Today I would say to you, it's ever bit as insane when you try to do surgery on yourself. Can you imagine, you know, you got a major problem, you need surgery, you need something cut out, and, and then they say, hey, let's save some money, just do it at home. Here's the scalpel, bud. I don't know about you, but the moment I cut, dude, I'm stopping, all right? I'm not going to inflict pain on myself, no matter how badly I need it. And that's why we have to turn ourselves over to the great physician who can do surgery on us and change us. But here's what we have to do. We have to be willing to be put under and to surrender ourselves to his power. Now, Jesus had to deal with this. I mean, you remember that awful scene in Gethsemane where Jesus knows he's about to go to the cross. And he's struggling. He's so tense that his capillaries are breaking in his forehead and he's dripping blood. And he's laying on the front ground begging God to take it away. But finally, he just surrenders. Lord, not my will but your will be done. I'm giving up control. See, that's what makes this so difficult is we like control. The problem is we're not doing a very good job controlling it. Lord, I give up control, not my will, but your will be done. So I want you to turn with me, if you have your Bible or your phone, to Luke chapter 9 and uh, verse 22. And I want us to, to look at Jesus trying to teach us this principle. Now I want you to understand the context here. The context is that Peter has finally gotten it, and he's confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. I mean, everybody wants to stop and clap, man. What a moment. We know who he is. Well, at this moment, Jesus chooses to share some really bad news before he shares some good news. First piece of bad news is found in verse 22. Here's what he says is going to happen. 
The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. The first part is bad news. Jesus says, yeah, you, you, you recognize I'm the Messiah, I'm the king. Well, what's going to happen to me? I'm going to be killed. Man, they're not expecting that. That blows them away. It's like if, if you've got a friend, you know, who's really ambitious about serving our country and, and they plan on becoming president and, you know, you, you're with them through all their campaigns for different offices and finally they're elected president and they're about to walk in the White House and you say, I'm so excited for you. You are the president. They say, yes, I am, and I'm going to be assassinated. Oh, no. Oh, no, not, not liking that. So Jesus, first of all, says, I'm going to be crucified. Now, the news actually gets... Even worse, in the next verse, verse 23, and he said to them, excuse me, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. What's he say now? Not only must I die, you must die. You must die to yourself. And then he gets finally to the good news that the first time you hear this, is that the first time anyone's ever read this to you, it's going to make no sense. By the end of the message, I hope it makes all the sense in the world to you. Verse 24, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will save it. You see, Jesus gives us a surprising solution to our issue with ourself in our repeated behavior. Very different than anything you can find in the world. You see, often what we would think, when I know that I'm the problem, our solution would be self-demotion. Actually, in religion, often we get to this point where we, we put ourselves down. We think, you know, if I'm the problem, and I'm the one going back like a dog to the vomit, then I just need to get on me. And so we just beat ourselves up, and we feel guilty, and we think maybe that'll feel, make us feel better. And temporarily, it sort of works. The messages I get the most, this is so interesting to me, the most positive feedback to are messages when I really come down hard on the church. When I really just sort of let, us, let me and you have it. And you'd be amazed at how many people thank me at those back doors. Oh, you stepped all over my feet. You stomped on my feet. Thank you. I just love this. And I'm thinking, Really? And, um, you know, I'm a pretty nice guy, so if that's how you feel, I try to oblige you every few Sundays, okay? Just so you get to have that feeling. So on, on this side, you think, okay, I'm the problem, so let me like, make a long list of everything I do bad. On the other side, this is what the modern world would say to you, what psychology would say to you, is you need to do some self-promotion. If you're the problem, you just need to feel better about yourself. And so for the last 30 or 40 years in America, we have thought that the answer to every problem is better self-esteem. And the truth is we're reaping the whirlwind from that decision because we've grown up a bunch of selfish adults. Because every time someone's got a problem, we think, oh, they're in jail, they're on drugs, just because they don't feel good enough about themselves. Everybody's dealing with the issues. You need to spend more time with yourself. You know what we're finding about the people in prison? It's not that they don't feel good enough about themselves. It's they feel too good about themselves. 
And so that's not the issue. So over there, you make a list of all the bad things about you. Over here, this says, if you would just sit down and make a list of everything good about you, you'd be so better off. And Jesus says, neither of those work because both of them are still focused on the problem, which is you. It's on self. So it's not self-demotion, it's not self-promotion. What Jesus says in these verses is it's self-surrender. It's you finally get to that point where you say, I don't have the answers, I can't figure it out, it's not going to help to put myself down, it's not going to help to prop myself up. What I must do is finally surrender to Jesus. And that's when everything begins to change. You see, the problem with the first two solutions is you think the answer's in you. The great thing about the middle solution is you believe the answer is in Jesus. And here's the key word we're using today. Probably, the, if I could say to you, this has been the most important word for me spiritually in my life. It's surrender. And normally God has to push me into a corner to finally say, Lord, I raise the white flag, I give up, I surrender. You see, that's the person God can deal with. Jesus tells an incredible story in Luke chapter 18. There's a Pharisee and there's a tax collector. Here's the super duper looked upon greatly religious guy, and here's the guy looked down upon. And they both go out to pray. And the Pharisee stands up and says, Lord, I'm so thankful that... You know, I'm not a tax collector like that guy. I'm not a robber. I'm not a gambler. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a Notre Dame fan. I mean, God, I, I just, I just, sorry about that. I just, I thank you. Thank you. I'm not like that, Lord. And you know, Lord, you know what I do is um, I fast twice a week, and I go to church three times a week. And man, I'm a tither, Lord. And then there's this other guy lowly tax collector. He feels so bad, he can't even look to heaven. He beats his breast, and all he can say is, Lord, would you be merciful to me, a sinner? Lord, I don't have anything to defend about myself. I don't have anything to brag about myself. I am tired of me, Lord. I surrender to you. Which of those men does Jesus say went home justified in God's eyes? It's not the self-righteous Pharisee. It's the lowly person who finally gives up on themselves. That's what this is all about. And so let's look at these verses rather closely just for a moment. Let's look at some key phrases because this is, this is something we've got to get. First of all, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, the first key phrase is deny themselves. What does it mean to deny yourself? Forever I've misunderstood that. I thought, okay, if I really want to follow Jesus, I need to deny myself a new car. I need to deny myself a new house. I need to deny myself new clothes. I need to deny myself a Coke. That's not what he said. He didn't say deny yourself and put a blank there. He said deny, guess what, yourself. Did you hear that? Deny yourself. What does it mean to deny yourself? Well, we got a great illustration of this in, in Scripture. What does it mean when Peter denied Jesus? What did he say? He said, I don't know the man. You see, to deny yourself means when you finally take the focus off you and you put it on God. I, I'm I don't even know this guy. And then he gives almost a parallel statement. Next is to take up your cross. Well, what's a cross for him? If you're, you're in the audience and he goes, you guys need to take up your cross. You don't think of a beautiful decoration to put around your neck on a necklace? They certainly would not have thought about decorating a religious room with a cross. Why? Because a cross was a place of execution. 
We now have reinterpreted it into a beautiful way. But in that day, it's a place of execution. So what he's saying is, again, you need to be willing to kill yourself. And then he says, key word here, daily. You see, that's one thing I'm learning about the, the 12 steps. These things, especially this step three, which most people would say to you is the most important step. It's not a one-time deal, guys. I don't know about you, but I have to resurrender every day because my will takes over. And so it's a daily step. And then he says the good news, the ironic news, that first time you read it makes no sense. Whoever loses their life will save it. Now, you win by losing. You have victory through surrender. You find life by death. Yes. Jesus says, when you finally give up on you and give your life to me, that's when everything begins to change. That's when you can recover life from your selfish addictions. And here's the key words. Two words. For me. The motivation for you to surrender, for you to deny yourself, for you to take up your own cross, is that we have a God who's so unbelievable. He's not asking us to do anything he didn't first do. He did it himself. And now he's asking you to follow. And so it's this love that motivates us. Because what he says is, I'm not talking about self-mutilation. I'm talking about self-surrender. Where you finally surrender yourself to a power greater than you. I want you to hear from a good buddy of mine who's part of our 12-step program here at Landmark RSVP, Mike Babson, talking about what this step has meant to him. The third step was really tough now. It was tough for me early on um, because when I started the program, I was still in that mindset of all that harm that I had done and that God didn't want to have anything with me. Um, somebody that you know very well, I call him Hollywood, Joe Smith told me early on, he said, Mike, because I would get up and I'd turn my will and life over. And old ideas, things that I'd been brought up and told in church that I had to do a certain way. And if I didn't, I was going to hell. And I would, I would mess up and I thought, I'm doomed. I'm doomed. But Joe Smith told me early on, he said, Mike, get up and ask God to keep you sober. Read something spiritual. Um, call somebody else that day. Um, say things at the end of the day and I said so you're telling me that that's God's will he says a whole lot closer than what you were doing but that worked for me early on I need he kept it simple for me until I could go on through the steps and I started seeing you know that's one of the, the big bright spots of my day is getting up in the morning and I like it at four o'clock every morning I like that time of morning that was times of morning I was used to drinking um, I would come to at four o'clock in the morning and I'd start drinking. And I don't, you know, that. so I, I sit and talk with God and it's a little different every day, you know? So, uh, third step means a lot to me. Don't you love that? Doesn't that sound, doesn't that sound like Jesus? You know, here he's saying is what I do is I, I do this daily. Instead of drinking every morning, I spend some time with God. And so it's that, that daily step of saying, Lord, I, I'm going to surrender to you. And now Mike has such a wonderful life, such a blessing to us. So let me give you a few things real quickly. 
Here, here's what you're going to find when you finally surrender. First of all, you're going to find peace. The most miserable times in my life and in your life is when I'm totally consumed and focused on me. The greatest days are when I get the focus off me and on God. I like what an old missionary said over 100 years ago, E. Stanley Jones. He said, the most used word in hell is the word I. And to be focused on yourself today is to be in hell today. And you know it and I know it. It is. You see, for Jesus, in Gethsemane, he stopped struggling and finally says, Lord, I give in. Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus does not flinch the rest of the way to the cross. He's at complete peace. Second, you're going to find purpose. Because the prayer of surrender is, okay, Lord, not my will, your will be done. God now comes into my life and gives me a purpose to live for that brings meaning to my life. I like what a preacher named Jim McGuigan said years ago. He said, people are crying while they die, not because they're dying, but because they do not know why they lived. My friends, we have a purpose that makes life meaningful, even in the midst of difficulty. And also, when you surrender, you're going to find power. The Apostle Paul said, Galatians 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Oh, my goodness, what do you mean? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now he's got the power of Jesus Christ in his life. You see, when I surrender to God, I become his instrument filled with his spirit and his power. And then when you surrender, you'll find his presence. That's what's so special. You see, God cannot move in until you have moved out. When you get to the end of yourself, you get to the beginning of God. So you meet God in this broken place where you finally say, Lord, it's not about me, it's about you. We're about to come to the table of the Lord. And this is a place where you certainly meet Jesus, where he sits across the table And there's a wonderful song that I want you to listen to and just take in before I pray. It's called To the Table by Zach Williams. And what it says is there's a voice that's calling. There's a chair that's empty for me. There's a friend that's waiting. Who knows everything about me. And he loves me. So as you hear this song, I want you to think about the chair, the place that God has prepared for you. And as we go to the tables and we symbolically take around these tables, let's be reminded that Jesus is sitting across the table. And I want to remind everybody in this room, there is a chair for you. No matter how bad you screwed up, no matter how broken you are, there's a chair for you. So hear this song and we'll pray. We now come to the point, please be seated just for a moment. We come to the point in our service where you actually can practice the third step. Remember what it was, the third step is to make a decision to turn your will and life over to the care of God. You say, why would I do this? Why would I turn my will over? It's so difficult to give up control because you know that God cares for you. You just heard it so beautifully in that song. He is good, good. He's holding on for you. 
And we just remembered it around the table that he's so good he gave his life for you. So it's time to stop trying to run your life and it's time to give it over to him. In fact, what I wish we had, I wish in our pews we just had little white flags on the back of the pews and when you got to that point of surrender, you'd just raise that white flag. I think that'd be a really cool thing. You say, that, that sounds like defeat. No, it's not defeat because you know who you're surrendering to. You're not giving up on life. You're giving up on you running your life. And you raise that white flag and say, God, it's all you. I remember years ago preaching this passage in Pensacola, Florida, and talking about this white flag idea. And there was a man named Steve Goolsby. Ended up becoming a really good friend of mine. He lived in my neighborhood. He'd grown up in church but been away for years. Sort of a jet-set kind of guy. Been through a few marriages, been through lots of difficulties. But he finally was broken when his oldest son, going to school in Huntsville, Alabama, was driving a car and wrecked it. And his best friend was killed in the accident. And he was broken. And Steve was broken. And Steve showed up at my house one night weeping. And then he came to church the next Sunday, and he walked down to this front row. I'll never forget the words he wrote. I raise the white flag. I give up. I give up on me. I give myself to God. And today you have the chance in these next few moments to take that step. No, we don't have any white flags, but we do have a front row that's a safe place. When I talked to guests from last week, the things they noticed most about this church and loved the most was what happened up here. They had never seen that happen in a church. And today, you could come to this front row to be baptized. You see, the greatest act of surrender is baptism because that's the moment you go, I can't get it together. I can't do enough. I'm just going to throw myself on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to put my faith in him and his power. So here's what happens. This old dead guy is buried with Jesus and raised to new life. You could do that today. Or maybe today you just need to write something out for this church to pray for. You've already had people come. Say, you know, I just need, I need your prayers today. I need to surrender this area of my life. Or maybe you'd just like to pray with a couple individuals. We have two couples in our church this morning that are going to come to stand in, both, in front of both of these doors. If you guys would go ahead and come. And all you would need to do is just, just come to them, give them your name, and say, here's what I need you to pray about. You don't have to say anything out loud. Just give them your name and let them pray for you right then. You see, this is a great moment because this is the moment where you and I can raise the white flag where you and I can do what I think the most meaningful thing in anyone's spiritual life is to finally come to the point where I say to God, I surrender my will to your will. It's a decision you would never regret. It's a moment that's right in front of you right now. If God's calling you to surrender, make sure you get over your pride. You see, last week, we saw a guy who almost walked away from God with a death disease because he's too proud to go to a muddy river till someone intervened. This week we met a man, a Pharisee, who was so prideful 
he couldn't even see that he had the same death disease all, we ha- all of us have. And so today, if you're ready to let down your pride and to go public for God, do it right now while we stand and sing.